Welcome to MFM Speaks Out. This is the official podcast of the nonprofit advocacy organization founded and led by Sarav Sadat Lajavardi called Musicians for Musicians. This monthly podcast is co-hosted by MFM members and musicians Adam Reifsteck and yours truly, Dawood Kringle. MFM seeks to bring together musicians from all disciplines, styles, traditions, and locations in the cause of their mutual self-betterment. Whether through education, networking, or political action, MFM's ultimate goal is to elevate the work of all musicians to the level of a true profession. We encourage you to get involved by using the hashtags on social media, Unity in the Music Community, and Making Music as a Profession. We encourage you to visit musiciansformusicians.org and to join our organization. If you'd like to become a supporter, you may do so by visiting our website. Again, that's musiciansformusicians.org. This episode of MFM Speaks Out is going to be a little different from our usual format. Our guest is Dave. He's a professional musician and a recovering alcoholic and drug addict. In keeping with the traditions of anonymity within Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, and other substance abuse recovery programs, we are respecting the anonymity of our guest. Our discussion will center around drug addiction, alcoholism, substance abuse recovery, and how this affects the professional musicians. Before we begin... Let's listen to some music. This is a piece by David Van Ronk called Cocaine Blues. Every time me and my baby go uptown Police come and they knock me down Cocaine run all around my brain Yeah, baby, come here quick This old cocaine about to make me sick Cocaine run all around my brain Gonna come, my baby Dressed in red She's got a shotgun Says she's gonna kill me dead Cocaine Run all around my brain Cocaine For cocaine knocking at my door, cocaine run all around my brain. Take Sue, ain't no difference twixt the two. Cocaine, run all around my brain. 
grain Yeah, baby Come here quick This old cocaine About to make me sick Cocaine Started down Beale Street And I'm turning up Main Looking for a gal Who sells cocaine pocket says no more coke cocaine run all around my brain mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. cocaine run all around my brain cocaine's for horses not for men They tell me it'll kill me, but they won't say when. Cocaine, run all around my brain. Yeah, baby, come here quick. This old cocaine about to make me sick. Cocaine, run all around my brain. Welcome to MFM Speaks Out, and uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, uh, happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you. In in general terms, how uh, did substance abuse and uh, music enter your life, and how how did how did they intersect? Sure, so there's a big question. I will try to condense some of that. Um, I guess I'll speak more to music first. That was kind of the first. Um, you will the first love and Mm -hmm. a lot of my heroes and a lot of the people that I get to uh, be around um, today in the community we all kind of share this idea that music really chose us Mm -hmm. and as a little kid uh, music stirred my soul and it was one it was the only thing that would you know I would have this physical reaction of getting the chills down my spine you know I'd be in the car my dad would have something on or you know just I had this physical reaction in my body to what music did and I hope that and I hope that a lot of people get that um and that was just always there and you know my dad had had played drums and played in bands when he was younger and so when I was a little kid every once in a while I would hear him set up the drums and start playing and I would kind of go down and mess around so there was this music atmosphere in my house and, and my dad is an avid music lover he's got you know thousands of records and then mm. thousands of CDs and you know he was he's still interested today in finding new artists that he's into and searching out the next thing. So I had this really fortunate uh, experience where for him, my grandparents said, music's obviously not a career. You have to go to college and get a, get a real job. And when I showed an interest in this, you know, early on, he sat me down and said, if you want to go for this, 
were willing to support that, but you have to really go for it. And so I was able to have a, 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 a have that kind of fostering environment where they said, if you want to go, we'll get you some lessons. And, and so, I, you know, music entered my life then really early. I did end up in public school systems that had really um, great uh, educators that really cared, specifically my high school. Um, this guy has been recognized now on a national level for all that he's done um, in the high school I went and we did all sorts of competitions and I just got exposed to a lot of stuff. Um, but simultaneously, as a little kid, I was the guy at eight years old that, you know, I couldn't stay, you know, quiet in class. I, I was outbursting and interrupting <laughs> the teachers and, and they said, this kid needs to go get, you know, analyzed. And at eight years old, I was the, you know, the kid that got the ADHD diagnosis in the 90s and, mm. and was put on Ritalin twice a day. And mm. so, while that wasn't substance abuse, to be an eight-year-old kid and, and, and all of a sudden they're giving you methamphetamine, essentially... <laughs> You know, mm. something seemed to be a little bit funny uh, or different in my experience to looking at everybody else. And uh, as I became, uh, you know, right around that middle school years, like seventh, eighth grade, you know, it was, hey, you know, let's steal some liquor from the liquor cabinet. You know, oh, our friends are, you know, smoking some weed, down, you know, over there. And, you know, and I just started trying those things out and um, quickly found uh, a relief from the, you know, how uncomfortable I had felt. And so it was like from a really early age, around 12, 13, when music was entering my life. Um, but also I was getting exposed to, you know, this idea of living on the outside of the, you know, living on the fringes of society, so to speak. Mm. And, um, and I really, you know, I found in drugs and alcohol, I found a level of peace that seemed to be essential for me to keep going. Mm. And, um, and, and I will put this in and, and try not to romanticize it, but all my heroes were alcoholics and junkies. Mm. You know, every, every artist that I seem to look up to, you know, you'd look at someone like Jimi Hendrix, Miles mm. Davis, you know, all of the jazz world, all of the rock and roll world, the stuff that I was kind of getting interested in, every one of them, their lives were riddled with substance abuse. And so there was a part of me that just felt like this is a rite of passage. This is what you do. This is how you live this life. And so this is something that you do in order to have this experience. And so for, for me, I kind of co-mingled that and, and, and started following it. Um, but that was really, you know, the beginnings. And, um, you know, it turned, it turned a darker corner by the time I was 17 when, you know, I, I'd start, you know, powder showed up. I was, I was living outside of Chicago and, you know, the neighborhood kids just so happened to be going into the city to get heroin. And that became a part of my life at 17. You know, by 18, I was an IV drug user. And, uh, you know, and so I had, I had that kind of sharp jump off the cliff pretty early on that uh, some people maybe don't experience until a little bit later in life. Um, but yeah, for as far as the beginnings, you know, then I, I ended up in this place where I just looked at it as part of my lifestyle. You know, I, I got a chance to go to this music school in Boston and I had an opportunity to meet a bunch of really talented people from all over the world. And our experience was we'd get together. I had uh, for a good three years there, I had an apartment where we could just make all the noise we wanted. And I had drums and a keyboard and amps and, you know, and, and people were always walking around with their instruments on their back. And, uh, and people would just show up and we would just, you know, the idea was like, come and hang out, man. And we'll, you know, we'll get high and we'll play. You know, and so that that had become part of the education that I was getting, essentially. But I also started to then internalize, like, in order for me to do this, this is part of this is how the state of mind and, and being that I need to be in. Um, luckily, I learned that's really false. Mm. 
Um, but yeah, so, you know, it became this commingled thing. But I would say the music had always affected me on this deep level. And then, you know, music had been the cathartic release that I needed to feel okay. And then when, when I started experimenting with drugs and alcohol, I found a second way to jump away from that. Hmm. And, um, and yeah, as, as I progressed into that, what ended up happening was I, I, I came to the crossroads where I, I started looking out and saying, I guess I'm going to have to give up the music. And, and if I'm going to hmm. keep living the life that I'm living. And uh, there was a, a you know, my mom would always say, she goes, we knew that music was going to save your life. We knew that, you know, when I, I'd, got, I'd been in a rehab at 18 and the counselors were telling my family, don't send him over to Boston. Like, it's not going to go well. Do not do that. You need him here. He needs this protective environment. And they said, he's got to go do this thing. Mm. And, uh, and I will say that in the darkest hours of that, that world for me, where I was really hitting a wall um, and, and was unable to live. I was, I was living for a while and I was really unable to draw a sober breath. And in the back of my mind though, there, or in my heart really, there was this thing that was like, you know, the music is here for you. It's always been there for you. And it's a responsibility you have and you can't turn your back on it. And I think that was part of what ended up um, bringing me to a point where I was able to say, I think I need some help here. Now you mentioned that uh, both music and drugs and alcohol were uh, sort of a cathartic uh, release from uh, pain that uh, that we uh, we tend to feel in our lives and I noticed uh, I've heard that uh, a lot from people who had uh, gone through the process of recovery in fact I've also heard the uh, you know, that there's this fear inside them but there's no specific thing that they are afraid of and that the, that the yeah that the drugs and the alcohol uh, provided a release from that particular psychological discomfort do you think that uh, that there is anything specific about this, or uh, perhaps some sort of contour of this discomfort, this fear that drug addicts and alcoholics are seeking release from, that is specific to artistic creativity? It's a really great question. Mm. Um, you know, it's interesting because I, I see it. I guess I see two sides to it. One is I have a lot of friends that share my history and my experience. And, mm -hmm. and it seems that the people that, there's a lot of people I know that are extremely talented and creative. And it's almost as if, I don't know if you remember, you know, for people that played video games and you get to like create your character and they, they give you like, here's the amount of points you have of attributes and you get to decide what you want your person, you know, I want to be fast or whatever. Mm. You know, and I kind of feel like with some of us that are more, you know, artistically and, and creatively driven, it's like we came out of the shoot and like that attribute was a little bit, you know, p positive more than others. And what we might've lost is some of the like social aspects or, you know, we might've mm. lost, um, you know, just some of the other stuff where we're a little bit less balanced in certain areas. Um, mm. And it seems to be, you know, I see that a lot, but there's a desire to create and there's a desire that I have to make something and do something. And, and you spoke about this idea of this inherent fear. And I would feel that in, I'm not doing enough, you know, and I, I kind of had this thing where I always felt like I need to be doing more with this music stuff. I need to be pursuing, you know, there was, you know, I, I, I will walk off stage to this day and well, you know, a year ago when there was a stage to walk off of, I yeah. walk off stage and, and, and everybody seemed to have a great time. And all I can fixate on are the few things that I felt, you know, I played that the intention, I had a different intention for what was supposed to go on. 
or I had this little tiny hiccup in my in my train of thought over playing a song mm. and if we're improvising that I, I felt like maybe I wasn't super present you know and I'll be like in my head all about that stuff and I mm. definitely see that well a lot of us can put on the face and be the extroverted person and you know music specifically is a very communal and social um, thing you know I mean obviously today there's tons of solo artists and you know you with technology you can loop yourself and do a whole solo show mm -hmm. where you're playing all you know and, and do so much which is super cool but if I think about music in the traditional sense of you know there's going to be a couple of people that get together and we we're bringing a song or we're going to improvise and, and we're going to try to be present in the moment with each other. Um, you know, for me, that's always been this internal spiritual experience. And, uh, and I, and I get really hard on myself and it seems that I know a lot of people that, that do the same. And we mm. seem to have this, from my perspective, it seems like we have this thing where we're just trying to, we're always trying to get better. And at the same point though, we're like really, really hard on ourselves. And for me, that always was a big rub and, mm. you know, being able to disconnect from that and just kind of be okay. I mean, I remember I used to go and play and, you know, I, I remember playing a bunch of jazz shows back in Boston when I was in school. And, you know, there was the whole, the whole of the show was basically us improvising mm -hmm. and, uh, and I would be, you know, completely blasted off somewhere and I remember just playing or in my apartment jamming out from that place of I just I have no care in the world other than being present to what's happening right now mm. and I and I would feel and I guess it's it's not false because I think when you're in that moment you're there mm -hmm. but that wouldn't be able to be there in the rest of my life and um, the people that I've met um, and I'll, and I'll, I'll mention, you know, this is someone who I've, I've only shaken his hand and spoken to for probably 20 seconds, but there's a guy named Brian Blade mm -hmm. and he's, you know, a tremendous, tremendous musician and one of my favorite, uh, drummers ever. And I got to watch Brian walk off a stage and some woman walked up to him and he grabbed her hand and he leaned in and he looked her right in the eye and he was as present as he was in the music as he was with this woman right after he walked off stage. And on the same with me, I got to shake his hand. It was a Newport Jazz Festival. And I just got to say, thanks, man. I really appreciate that. That was inspiring. And he, he looked at me. It was like he saw me for who I was. He was present and, and he was able to shake my hand and say, thank you so much. I'm really glad you enjoyed yourself. Mm. And, and I've had people that I've met that is, from my estimation, really are on that place on a real deep spiritual level and they're not using drugs to get there. Mm. Um, and to me, I think what I found is that, that there's a real, like we can get to that kind of presence from um, without needing to, to alter that with substances. But certainly when I was younger, I definitely said in order for me to get to that place where I can just play stream of conscious and just let it out and mm -hmm. not have any care in the world. Yeah, shooting up some heroin and playing music, that certainly seemed to do it, you know, and, and all the other stuff that, that came along with that, you know, I'd be, that I don't know where that pain that I felt comes from, but I know that that seems to be recognized with a lot of us, you know, and I, and I guess some of us find relief in different ways. There was a moment where I actually said, I, I don't think I can keep living like this mm. because I am going to give up the music and I don't, I can't show up. I can't, you know, no one could call me for a session and I, I wouldn't be able to be responsible. You know, I wouldn't be able to show up and actually be professional in any capacity, you know, and I took it to that extent where I'm not going to be able to have a career if this keeps going. Um, 
but I've found through some other practices that you can actually find that kind of internal peace and, and presence to be able to really be in the music and, and right there with everybody and hanging on, if, if we're improvising, you know, hanging on to the phrases and really being present with that. It appears to me that a lot of us that are artistically inclined have this kind of internal brokenness. But then I've also met uh, people along the way that, you know, you look at someone like Frank Zappa. Guy never was, that guy was sober, just sober. And he wrote some of the most incredible music the world has ever known uh, from that place. There's a kid named Jacob Collier today. I think mm. he's probably falls into a very similar place. Yeah, he's um, scary. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it seems that there's an there's an essential for us to find that and find that relief. And uh, I happen to fall into the category of I can't stop when I start. And every time I said, let me try to see about just, you know, getting stopped here. I, I found that I wasn't able to do that. And, mm. uh, and I was able to diagnose that, yeah, I have alcoholism. That's that's hallmark alcoholism and as far as some of the drugs go i have hallmark addiction with some of them yeah i think that that kind of terror that you spoke about and that like unease is there for a lot of us and some of us can find healthy ways to do it through maybe exercise or you know you know going and doing you know meditation and yoga and all sorts of well health healthy wellness stuff and and some people like myself kind of I ended up more in that place, but I started with, you know, when I was smoking weed and drinking as a little kid and turned into all this other stuff. Um, and I got really screwed up thinking that in order for me to be creative and play music uh, and have anything to bring to the table, you know, I had to live that way. And thankfully I was shown that's not true. Now you talked about the, the turning point where you had finally decided uh, that you'd had enough of this how difficult was it for you to clean up and stay clean? I mean, what was that process like? Sure, it's a great question. And I'll, and I'll paint the picture a little bit of what it really looked like. Um, I had come to Brooklyn and I had about a year uh, where the family was like, look, we wanna, we wanna help me. I came from a really great family, you know, mm -hmm. and, and there was no alcoholism or drug addiction in my immediate family. I think like a generation above with some of my grandparents, there was some alcoholism. Uh, but I grew up in a really stable, loving family, and, and, and they, they tried to do everything they could for me. And one of the things they said was, you know, you've been in Boston five years. I had taken over my, my bills in Boston. Um, I was actually working with a couple of bands doing, like, private parties with some teachers at my school while I was still a student. And I was able to kind of have some work where I could actually pick up some of that. And, um, and so I, they were like, we're, you know, you've got about a year that we can try to help you with at least just your rent, you know, and then it's going to be on you. You have to figure this stuff out. And, mm -hmm. um, and so it was like somewhere in that spring, like that was in the fall. So it was like somewhere about six months later where I was really starting to notice that I'm not going to be able to pay these bills. Like, <laughs> you know, I am unemployable. Uh, you know, I don't have any sense of hygiene. I had this huge hair going on. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, nobody was calling me and really off. I mean, I had some work, work that was starting you know I'd started playing some music with some people I had met in New York that were connected to me through my school um, I was getting to play with a really phenomenal bass player who had like a Monday night uh, session every Monday in a jazz club in the West Village and you know so things were like slowly starting but there was not enough money coming in by any stretch and um, and any money that I did get 
you know, immediately I was like, I was living with a guy who had been living in Williamsburg for about eight years. And so he knew all the bartenders of the local bars. And so we just go out every night. And if I had 15, 20 bucks, we would just put it on the bar, give it to the dude who was his friend and say, this is for you. And then the rest of the night we were just drinking for free essentially. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so I'd sorted out a way to be basically drinking all night, every night. And, and then once I got, you know, drinking a little bit, it was like, well, I really want to, you know, I really want to ratchet this thing up and, and I really wanted to go and shoot up and, and get that going. Yeah. And, um, and so where my mind went was I was 24 years old and I say, you know, a lot of my heroes made it to 27. It's a magic number with artists in 27. So I don't even think I want to make it to 30. Yeah. So I just kind of started, you know, saying like, screw it. I'm not going to make it to 30 anyways. So like, why even, you know, why care? Um, but to that point of you're talking about that fear you know I was waking up well and I was basically blacking out every night so I was coming to and I'd be like on the couch or on the floor or you know I, I'd come to it and I'd be smoking a cigarette and my blanket was smoldering on my lap and I'd be like patting the blanket out you know it was it was not a, a like it wasn't living life and and suicide really became the operative thought it was like okay here's my way out you know mm-hmm. uh when I'm in enough pain and when I, I, I think I'd set like $500, I'm like, if I'm going to break the $500 threshold and not have any money coming back in, I'm just going to try to go zero all that out, go to see my buddy, try to get as much dope as I can and just try to intentionally overdose in my car somewhere in the mountains upstate. You know, that was like legitimately my plan. Uh, and I, th- I thought, okay, cool. I have a way out. And mind you, I'd had friends that had committed suicide and I saw the devastation that that causes to a community of people into a family and, and, and I made a decision that I knew that was really, I, I felt that was a very selfish act, but I started to consider that because of the kind of pain that I was in and the kind of desperation of how do you live life? You know, and, and I would look and I had a bunch of friends that had come out of this school that had come to New York and their lives were blossoming and they were starting to get opportunities. And I'm, I'm seeing the poster of the tour and the photo from stage with the huge sellout theater. And I'm going, man, like, where's mine? You know, and I started to get really spun out judging all these beautiful people that, you know, and trying to figure out, you know, how I was better than them. And, you know, I was just getting really, really this dark place. Let's take a break and listen to some music. This is a song called Heroin by the Velvet Underground. If I can 
and so when I had been in Boston, there was one guy who was the happy guy, and he was from Hawaii. You know, I had a music studio in the in the house, and you know, you're you know this amazing uh, producer, bass player, and and just incredible human being. And um, you know, and the word about this guy was that he was sober. You know, he didn't he didn't he didn't party anymore. And I got to actually meet him and play some music with him and, and talk to him and found out that he was a genuinely loving and caring individual. And um, and one day I had called him and you know he kind of just basically expressed to me that uh, you know his words were I, I I go to AA and it works for me. And so I had this experience of being in a rehab at 18 and and getting exposed to like this idea that there was treatment, there was recovery, there was there was something to do if you really wanted it. And then I had a living example in my friend who carried a genuine loving kindness outward to everybody he ever met. And you could see it. I mean, if he walked into a room, everybody just instantly like got uplifted a little bit. We'd all kind of smile and everyone was happy to see this guy wherever he went. Mm. And I was in this really dark clouded place, which I thought you couldn't really genuinely live like that. But here was this person that shattered that lie that you could actually be sober, happy, uh, playing music, having a great time, enjoying life and enjoying yourself and at peace. And so in the middle of this in Brooklyn, you know, fast forward to now I'm, I'm living in Brooklyn and, you know, I had these few memories that started to show back up and there was a day where I said, you know, I think I need to try something. And the only thing I really came to me was, oh yeah, there's these, these 12 step fellowships. And that was mm. the only thing that had really dawned on me as an option at that moment. Um, and so I, I actually went to a meeting. I said, let me go and see what this is all about. And, and I showed up and I was, as I, said, I was 24 years old and I looked out and I was in a neighborhood in Brooklyn and it was like an early evening Sunday night meeting and everybody was like 65 and up. And, and I'm sitting here trying to be the hip jazz musician, you know, like just got out of music school, gonna be the indie rock, you know, jazz, whatever electronic musician guy and here's a bunch of grandparents sitting around and I was like dude I'm <laughs> this is totally not where I'm supposed to be but there was someone who was a little bit younger probably 40 and he was like you should hang out and there was you know a younger meeting started later you know half hour after that one ended some people with you know that were younger they have tattooed they came up on bikes and skateboards and you know and I stayed and, and I listened to some people um and and my experience was I, I met some people that that seemed to have a life. <clears throat> and I didn't necessarily know if I believed what everybody was saying in the beginning, but I started trying to give a shot at what they had suggested. You know, these people said things like, hey, just come and see us tomorrow. You know, we're gonna be over here if you want, just come by. And then they started just inviting me uh, to come and hang out with them. And um, and I and I tried to do that. And I had the experience of for th almost three months it was virtually impossible for me not to get wasted at night. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, and so to the question of if it was hard, it was beyond, it was impossible. And I would go and I would be around people that were living sober lives and they would say things to me that kind of sounded like they made sense and they were trying to you know, keep it simple. Like, you know, you can go to two meetings, you could come and see us later tonight, you know, whatever it was that they were giving me these ideas, give me your phone number, call me later, you know, I'll give you a shout. And I would leave those places <clears throat> and within short order, I had to have a drink or I had to go and see my buddy in the hood and, and get some dope. Like I had to, and, and I couldn't get away from that. And um, ultimately what ended up happening, and this is just my experience, was I ended up back in one of those rooms and uh, 
and I'll censor it because I'm not sure if we should swear or not here, but I, I said, I'm screwed and I don't know what to do. You know, you can fill in the blank there with what I actually said. <laughs> um, but I looked at this room full of people and I said, if I'm not surrounded by you people or at another one of these meetings today, I know I'm going to, I will be drunk and high by the end of the night. It's going to happen. It's been happening every single night. And the experience that I then had, and so I hadn't planned on saying that, mind you. I just, <clears throat> I was in a meeting, I was staring at the floor for 55 minutes. It was the day after Hurricane Irene, mm. uh, that weekend, it was a hurricane that wasn't, you know, so it was a Monday in August of 2011. <clears throat> and, um, you know, in that weekend, I'd hold myself up with this, this lady who I was kind of taking hostage in my life. Um, you know, we weren't dating, but we certainly were spending an awful lot of time together. Mm. And um, I had snuck out and continued to get completely obliterated because I had been in withdrawals on Saturday night. So Sunday I had to go out and, and get right. Cause I was in, you know, I was really physically in, in a lot of trouble. And, uh, and I just felt totally dead. It was like totally dead and broken on the inside. It didn't really feel like there was any life. I wasn't inspired, you know, mu I, I wasn't getting asked to play any music, like life just, there was really not much of a point. It's what it felt like. <clears throat> and, so I ended up in that room and, and all I really did was I, you know, I think you talked about, you know, as an artist, you know, when we're seeking to find a level of truth within ourselves. Um, and sometimes that truth just shows up. And, and the truth that I heard in that couple of minutes of me saying, hey, I know I'm going to be drunk and high tonight. It's going to happen. That was essentially me coming into contact with some of my truth. And then that's the truth for me is that if it's up to me, the best that I can do is at some point I will start drinking again. And at some point I will come to the conclusion that um, putting a needle in my arm again is an acceptable uh, way to go about living life. And as we stood up and, you know, we were, those meetings typically close with a little short prayer. Mm -hmm. And I stood in, in a basement with a bunch of strangers and I got the feeling as we said that prayer that music always gave me. I got that jolt of the chills down my spine. Um, and I've never questioned if music was for me. I think we opened up and I said, you know, a lot of people I know, we say music chose us. Mm -hmm. And so I never questioned if I'm feeling the chills down my spine, this is the sign that I'm getting from the universe or the spirit or whatever that says this is for you. And here I am now with a bunch of strangers that are, are, are living sober lives and productive lives that are, are talking about their struggles with substance abuse and, and alcoholism. And I got that same feeling. And this little shift that I think occurred for me that moment was that I, I just said, this is for me. You know, whatever this thing called recovery is, whatever these people are doing, whatever's happening right now in this space, this is for me to get to that point, it took all of the pain and suffering that I'd ever experienced my entire life to bring me to a place where I was able to have a moment of surrender that I don't have any way to not do this. It took me wanting to quit and wanting to be sober and wanting to try, you know, wanting with every fiber of my being not to give up on music, not to give up on life and all the failings of that um, and being and, and being shown over and over again that I am not able to produce a result where I can manage and control what's going on as far as the drinking and the drugs are concerned. And I think that's very hard. And for certain people, that can go on for 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. I, I made it a business or priority 
to continue to stay around those people. And I started trying to get open and, and, and I found out that uh, if I'm not willing to get in the weeds with some people about what's really going on and, and talk about that internal brokenness and talk about the fear that I have and, and, and really get vulnerable, um, I'm not going to be able to stay here. You know, if I'm trying to like, you know, present myself to you in any way that might be inauthentic and might be, you know, not really telling the truth and, and trying to, you know, present myself to you as, as my, you know, stage character, if you will, mm-hmm. um, and not really be who I am and, and own that I'm a human being and I have a lot of flaws and I make a lot of mistakes and I really need help. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to find a community of people that were interested in, in sharing about that and, uh, and they did it for free and for fun. And they invited me and they said, come with us, hang out. And, um, and they talked about the basics of living a spiritual life and what that might look like. And, um, and so I, I got into looking at that. And, and then as that translated into, you know, I did, as I said, I was going and playing like Monday nights regularly at this club in the West Village. And, and I would be going to play some shows with some bands and, and there would be, you know, an open bar or there would be alcohol in the green room and uh, you'd have your drink tickets given to you. And I started being able to take the, you know, what ended up happening was I either wouldn't get the drink tickets or I would give them right back to the band leader. And there was a moment where after the show when I had showed up or I was on time, you know, we played the gig, gig went well, I would hang out for a chunk of time with everybody. And then there became this moment where I started to notice like they're on like their third round and they look like they're saddling up to hang for the duration of the evening. I think it's time to go. And I don't know where that started, but I just started to understand that I could leave. And it didn't matter if I wasn't, you know, partying with everybody. The party that we had engaged in was getting on stage and, and making this music. Mm. And um, and it was almost as if once I was able to clear out the drugs and the alcohol, um, I started to really get back into the, the, the real enjoyment that music had always given me. And the amazing thing started happening where as I kind of got acquainted with, you know what, I can't safely drink. I can't safely do any drugs, you know, and I have friends that, that can. But that, that moment that I had experienced was like, for the first time in my life, I was able to understand that I am not the same as other people. And it helped that I happened to be surrounded by a bunch of people I was the same with. And, and so I got to find that um, that surrender, I think, is one of the hardest things that we have to come to. If you struggle with this stuff, you know, I was, I was asked to search my heart and look at my relationship that I have to the drinking and to these drugs and ask myself, you know, do I identify that, you know, with this no off switch thing? Mm. You know, if I start, what happened? And at that point in my life, I had wanted to stop and I had wanted to quit and I wanted to really go out and be, you know, I wanted to be a good son. I wanted to be a successful musician. You know, I wanted to add something to this world, but I couldn't do that because every time I would get a little bit of time together and a little bit of like life starting to straighten out, I would end up taking a drink, smoking a joint, and ultimately I'm you know off to the races again. And I would end up in this like this spree where I just couldn't handle it. And um, so I think it was, it was very difficult to get to that, for that piece of truth to come out for me. But the moment I was able to understand that I'm not able to handle this on my own, it was as if I was starting to, I was able to start accepting what was offered 
and there was a lot of hope that was offered. And, and what I can at least report today is I have gotten to do all those things I wanted to do. You know, I did get to, uh, I got to live in China for two months playing six nights a week at a nightclub. Um, you know, I was paid a salary. They, I was flown out on a one-way ticket to China by myself. <laughs> I was 18 months sober and I landed in China not knowing anybody in the country except a friend from college who was from Malaysia who met me at the airport. And then he left two days later and here I was just like in China. Mm. And every single night there was a never ending bottle of Crown Royal available to me as one of the performers at this club. And I was able to stay and live in China and hang out until 6 a.m. until the clubs closed and, and party and do all that and, and enjoy it and meet some really great people from all over the country or all over the world uh, and do it sober. Mm. You know, I started getting to work um, in some some different bands doing private parties and, and private events that was like on the weekends. And I was able to hold on to that relationship to this day. Mm. Uh, I started getting asked to um, get involved with some artists that were going to Europe and doing tours and going down to South America and touring the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. And, uh, and people started referring me. But I was able to show up on time. I was able to show up prepared. Mm. And I was able to try to, you know, I started trying to see what can I bring rather than what can I take. And that attitude was given to me through uh, getting into recovery. And people started saying, you know, you've been selfish your whole life. Maybe you should start worrying about how you can help somebody else. And I started bringing that into these different situations. And people just started saying, you should call this guy. And all of a sudden, I'm getting like a plane ticket to Hamburg, Germany, you mm. know, emailed to me. And I haven't even met the people on the other end. Mm. And so, you know, I actually ended up being able to have a career that was only there when I was able to actually you know, take the drugs and the alcohol out of the equation. And I will say, I didn't, I don't think I'm responsible for that, you know, and that opens the door for a bigger conversation around spirituality and, and belief systems. And I'm not here to debate anybody's beliefs or spiritual practices, <laughs> other than to say that for me, it was essential that I found some stuff that worked for me. <laughs> and, uh, and I've been seeking that, that kind of stuff out. And that moment opened the door for a whole new experience to start which you know nine and a half years later I, I look out and I go I don't know how this whole thing happened other than I continued to keep my head down and I made it really clear that um, you know I am an alcoholic I am a drug addict and I am not able to do these things that other people can do and that truth has got to be front and center every day and mm -hmm. I'm willing to submit to some really simple practices and, and getting busy trying to just go see if I could be helpful to somebody. And, and what struck me was there was this little voice that said music and I had a talent that I didn't, that was just there. And I was given this environment to build that into a skill set that then people were, were willing to bring me onto the bandstand to allow their vision of music to come to life. And I started to realize that the whole purpose of that was to go and give this experience to the audience mm -hmm. of being able to get maybe transported out of their life that they might be able to enjoy that release that I get from playing and performing. And so I would hope that if anybody, again, if anybody happens to be tuning in and struggling with some of that, you know, it might sound a little sadistic, but I hope you get to that place. Uh, I hope you get to a place of feeling so broken that uh, you maybe would be willing to try something that sounds crazy. And to me, the idea of living a spiritual life outside of music and like prayer, meditation, all that, I was like, that's nuts. Those people who do that, like, that's not for me, man. But when I had gotten beaten down enough, um, I was open to trying something new and, and it gave me a life. Which of course uh, brings up the question of what you would say to someone who uh, is 
stuck in their own addictions and uh, they uh, whether they realize it or not they may be seeking a way out but you I think you covered that <laughs> I think you covered all of that you know what I what I if I have an opportunity to talk to anybody about this stuff um, as I said in the you know earlier you know I'm by no means an authority on any of this I don't have any degrees or letters you know I'm just a guy who um, you know I'm a drunk and I was a junkie and, and I you know I was able to be shown a way that worked for me mm. and, and and when I get an opportunity to talk to somebody if they're open but one of my favorite things about my experience today is that I feel that if someone expressed that sentiment I really want to quit I just don't know how with 100% surety I could look you dead in the eye and I could say I can show you a way that has worked for me and uh, and I will walk with with you on that if you want to see what that's about and um, and for me I don't know if it's if it's equal or, or more so than the music but that has given me a sense of purpose that like in this last year without live music really being a thing and with that kind of really being put on the back burner I have been able to feel useful this this whole last year mm. but I found that there's a sense of purpose that I've been given beyond just playing music in in regards to the service thing well someone like Jocko is an iconic figure there's a bunch of people like that mm. everywhere and I think a lot of people aren't willing to verbalize that because we don't, you know, we don't know what to do. You know, and so coming here today, you know, getting invited to come out and at least share my experience. You know, I was told that part of my job here is to try to maybe inspire somebody else to go and search out some help or mm -hmm. maybe try to bring hope to someone who feels hopeless. And so I'm willing to go and do that today. Um, I've been going to prisons and detoxes and psych wards mm. and all that kind of stuff, looking for somebody like me who's just found themselves in the wrong place. Because mm -hmm. I've found myself in some of those places too. And it was just, I'm not supposed to be here, but I'm here. Approaching music as service and then also being able to look at somebody who really might be willing to open up and say, I'm struggling and be able to offer, hey, I can show you if you want uh, some stuff that's helped me. And I can also introduce you to a whole community of people that have found a new way of living that's working for them. You know, you just got to come and join and be with us for free and for fun. Well, I think uh, that's about it. Thank you so much for uh, joining us and uh, for uh, sharing your, uh, your experience and your strength and your hope. Hopefully uh, somebody listening to the podcast will uh, get something out of it. Yeah. I'm really happy that I got to, to come and be here. It was great to get a chance to, uh, you know, talk about these things and, okay. and, and aim it at, you know, this music community. All um, right. Well, thank you. Thanks a lot, Thanks, man. man. If you'd like to hear more interviews like this one in 2021, hit the subscribe button. Our thanks to you for your support. We did very well last year. We found new audiences and brought incredible stories and content. And we plan to do more of this in the year ahead. And we've always been consistent. An important step towards the success of the music community is building a different media. If you want to help us in that journey, go to musiciansformusicians.org. You can become a supporter and help our work reach even more people. My name is Dawood Kringle, and you've been listening to MFM Speaks Out. Thanks for joining us. We here at Musicians for Musicians urge those of you who may be suffering from drug addiction and alcoholism to seek whatever help is available and what works for you. You are not alone. We are going to leave you with 
Master of Puppets by Metallica. <laughs> 